Hello and welcome to the Super 70 Podcast. Special report, Corona Cast with Dave Anderson. Hello, everybody. Thanks for being very patient with me and tuning in after such long absences. I had to basically take the first half of the year off due to the virus. I'm perfectly fine. Everything is good. It's just the professional life really ramped up because I am, I guess, what you could say is described nowadays as a very essential worker. Because of that, the podcast had to take a back seat, but don't worry. It may be delayed and we have sustained some guest cancellations, but we're not going to give up. We're going to keep at them. A short note on the numbering of episodes, I'm sticking to the 10 episode seasons, which I call decades, and everything additional to that is going to be a special report. Dave Anderson came by to do the episode on M, and we recorded another special report. In this episode, we take a deep dive into the career of Clint Eastwood, debate the roller coaster that is the James Bond franchise, and discuss the varying success of the Game of Thrones cable series. Near the end of the episode, we were accosted by our friend Kirby Wells, who popped in to share his own story and take on George R.R. Martin, and to help Dave and I untangle the spectacular achievements of Catherine Bigelow and James Cameron. Join us as we drink up and we nerd out. Thanks again for joining us. And we're back. What are the rules with music and podcasts and the internet? Can you... Play like music that's commercially available for a 10 second snippet, or is it zero? I think it's 16 seconds. 16 seconds, okay. Um, however, um, Rosalind McPhail, who is the artist that I use for mm-hmm. the Super 70, is a friend of mine, and yeah. she and I came up with a handshake deal. Oh, yeah. Which that's... she allows me to use her music uh, pro bono. And I'm not saying you should change it, I was just curious. Because oh, yeah. on a lot of uh, podcasts or other things, you hear e- either you know not commercially successful or very, and I just don't know what the rules are because mm-hmm. there are certain ways. That's why I was curious. I yeah, you probably had an idea, if not new completely. Yeah, I had to research it before I did my first episode because I knew that I wanted to to have music right. as an intro and and outro, uh, os gong. Since we're in the the doing M for German cinema. Um, Look at you. Yes. I, I You're somewhat, bilateral. I somewhat uh, spreckensy, yeah. But there there were other podcasts, like Kevin Smith, obviously. He can afford to hire yeah. whoever he wants to hire. Right. Um, I can't remember. MC Chris, I think, did his one for, for Smodcast, which is a, a hugely popular podcast. I don't have that kind of dough. Uh, Mike, don't ruin the illusion. Yeah. <laughs> Mike Duncan, uh, who has still to this day one of the most popular podcasts ever, uh, The History of Rome, which still leads like every year in terms of downloads. As you know, it's, he's been done with it for over 10 years. Um, he's literally selected a, a pre-loaded um, guitar okay. and played the first um, 16, 20 seconds of it uh, right out of GarageBand because he was using GarageBand like I do. And that is has become very emblematic and very famous of pretty much all history podcasts since. That's been kind of like the standard of what you should do is you should just get a get something that Apple has told you is free already. Oh, okay. 
right? And, it's a pretty clever solution. Yeah, and there's there's like a thousand things that I could do, or if I wanted to, I could mix one myself. But I'm I have no musical talent whatsoever. I have not played guitar in thirty years, and uh, I just can't. Uh, just I, not your gig. Just not my gig. So I I thought about. Who do I know that are musicians that are recording artists? And you knew not to call me. Right. I, yeah. And <laughs> I knew very few. I knew two. And one, one is a relative of mine who hasn't recorded anything in 50 years. And the other one uh, records quite often. Uh, she's not a big artist. She's a, Rosalind is an is a indie artist who primarily works out of Newfoundland. So uh, I I did a, a conference with her, um, a FaceTime, and I, I asked her um, about her song rights, her publishing, and, and what I could use and what I couldn't. And, and she said, as long as it's 100% attributed to me, um, meaning that I wouldn't have to pay any other artists that she collaborated with. Okay. Yeah. And so, and she said, you can use anything you want. So I went through her catalog, which is, is not too extensive. Now it's, it's better. I think there's five, five or six CDs. They're all on iTunes and, and I'm a big fan of her work. Uh, and I think that she's does Just authentically. Yeah. I think she's does marvelous stuff and she, she works with a flute and it's kind of reminiscent of, uh, in my opinion, like I'm a huge Dave Matthews band fan, yes, as, you, as you know, from you the nineties. And it's kind of reminiscent of the way that she uses the flute is kind of like how Boyd Tinsley used the violin in Dave Matthews band. Gotcha. And she can really jam. And I just, I just really enjoy her, her music. And so I, I, I pulled the two, two works out of her catalog to, to open the podcast and end the podcast. Now there was a time when I was using her music all the way through, and that was based on, um, Steven Soderbergh, when he said he was retired, but he really wasn't, and he was just throwing his energy behind his website, one of the th- crazy things he did was he took Raiders of the Lost Ark, and he took the color out of it, mm-hmm. m- moved it to black and white, posted it on his website, which I don't know how he got away with that, and then he ran, like, um, I don't know what the hell, like someone else's score over it, like Lalo Schifrin or something like that, and I don't know how he got away with that either, um, but he did it, and his idea was, look at the image totally removed from the sound that you're used to mm-hmm. and look at the mastery of what Spielberg was doing. And so I thought, well, that would be neat to do in a commentary cast as people are watching it is just fill their sound with uh, not just a, a commentary, but with music in the background so people can distantiate themselves from their vision. And it wound up being, first of all, the biggest fucking hassle <laughs> in terms of post-production. Right. And then when I played it back, there were times when uh, the music going through the through the processing to the MP3 was coming out louder, and it would drown me out. So that's anti-objective. Right. And, and then it just seemed like I had to compete with it. And I don't want to have to compete with it. So I, I started to drop it. Um, and then, of course, my mics weren't too good, so I was also using the music to mask how bad the mics were. So when I replaced the mics, I basically uh, re-recorded a, a lot of tracks and reposted them uh, without the music. There's still a couple of that that have music, but then I was running out of music. I didn't want to use the same music at times, so I, I contacted people on, uh, on SoundCloud.com, particularly Joshua Cunningham, who, who did some really cool DJ work. And I asked him if I could use some of his, and he said, no, absolutely, that's fine. And so I, I linked it, and as I removed his music, I, I took his uh, contributions off the, the text of those particular podcasts. But there's still a few that he was on. So, so for those of you who are interested, Rosalind McPhail and Joshua Cunningham, you can find them at, at SoundCloud.com. And you can find Rosalind's music on um, 
her website, rosalindgafail.com, and, of course, on iTunes. So that's a long explanation. It's not really long. I was just curious. Question. Yeah, you know, I appreciate that, and hopefully it you know, gets her a little bit of I hope additional so. exposure. I right? hope so. Yeah, she she's really uh, – she is not – she does not live in Toronto. She's, she's not uh, uh, in the – in the industry, so they they say, as far as as living in New York or Los Angeles, and Newfoundland is like, oh my god, the god. the the music scene out there is crazy in terms of it. Just seems like nine out of ten people know a musical instrument, and uh, every every uh, Friday night, it's uh, or every weekend night, it's crazy. Every night that I worked there, you know, somebody mm-hmm. was inviting me into their home to play a guitar, an accordion, or something. It's just very musically inclined place. And she's kind of like a fish out of water. Like she's a mainlander. She's from Ottawa, I think, or, or the GTA. And so her, she's kind of inserted into this very strange East Coast Newfie culture, right? Which, which is a, an interesting mix. It is that. I mean, it's an interesting place, and yes. I rather enjoyed it. I don't know if I'd want to live there myself, but I certainly enjoyed visiting. I fucking love Newfoundland. Yeah. Newfoundland is phenomenal. If if I could afford to live in two countries. I would very easily, I will either that or Calgary. Cause I just, I dig Calgary. I dig Banff. I dig right. the whole Rocky mountain thing, but it's Newfoundland is very seductive. I just, I have no intention of putting myself in that type of weather purposefully ever again. <laughs> Excuse me. At least not full time with no option to escape. Right. Right. Um, do you have a book? I, I, yeah, I've got notes. I've okay. got, just like before, I've got some very leading questions. Gotcha. To bounce off of you. Because we'll start. Freeform. Why is M so good? Um, I think a lot of it goes back to what I was thinking in that it is a modern. Well, no, it's not modern. It It fits in the modern sensibilities, which indicates that it's somewhat timeless. And... It's kind of like Jules Verne, right? It's something, it's a relic from the past that is in, you know, objectively and inherently just entertaining, but it's so well done that, oh, there's pineapples in the English version. There were not pineapples in the German version that I recall, but. We still have the English language version of M playing in the background. That's right. And it's fascinating. It's so much more visually dynamic. It's in color and everything. But I think it's one of those where. Since it is so well done that it just transcends any particular time frame, that's why it's good. Now, how does it get to be that way as opposed to just, quote, good? I'm not sure. If I knew, I would probably, you know, shoot to be a incredibly film you know, incredibly successful film director or creator myself. But I think a lot of it is the performances or... Aside from Lori's, they're not overly remarkable, right? I mean, they're 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 solid. There's but there's nothing showy. Um, the story is very straightforward, but that doesn't mean it's not compelling. So I don't know if I can definitively say, with the obvious exception of the framing. Right now, like you said, we're watching the English version. That some of it was certainly not put together by Fritz Lang. And that is just a little bit less expertly done. You know, it's just one of those that 
So what's the difference between one of your favorite rock and roll bands of all time and some bar band? Bar band's totally fine. Like them. Listen to them all the time, every Friday. But, you know, there's some that just transcend because of that thing, which is hard to identify, which is why not everybody gets to do it. What do you think? I think beyond everything else, M is no different than any other movie in that does it tell a good story and is the story compelling and are you interested in the characters? And the answer is yes. I, I think if you've got those three things, everything else is just it kind of falls transitory. Yeah. 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 And I, to your point about the actors, it kind of reminds me of Sergio Leone who you, you just, he just grabbed people who just looked interesting yeah. and he put them in the film. There's a lot of people in him that look different, not, not necessarily interesting, but they're different. So even though it's a foreign language film, you can very easily distinguish everybody in it. True. I mean, yeah, they, this is not a film full of anonymous people. That's right. for sure. Right. So it's like the anti-alien three in that regard. Yeah. There's also, there's an element of M it's highly stylized. Like we were saying before about the camera tracks, mm -hmm. the push-ins, the overheads, and you know, you can go on and on and on about visual style and not every film has to be murder in the first. I think that's the famous one with uh, Christian Slater and Kevin Bacon that shot on Alcatraz and there's lots of fucking booms and camera tracks. And I, after about an hour of that, I'm like, just Enough. put it on a tripod, please. And <laughs> leave it there. You know, um, everyone talks about, well, everyone, many Fa people, fans of cinema really emphasize camera movement as part of technical skill set that is attributed to a good film. And I, I don't think that necessarily just moving the camera makes it a good film. No, no, certainly not. But it's one of those things, if done well, it certainly enhances the experience. Right. And right. I'm sure there are examples of movies that don't have some kind of dynamicism in the camera. You know, some kind of movement. But I can't think of any off the top of my head. Well, I mean, Murder in First has dramatic camera movement, very highly stylized, but I wouldn't call that like an exceptionally no, but is there a, well done film. Is there an excellent movie that doesn't have that, that's well, devoid like, of that? Just off the top of my head, a, a famous example, which is probably controversial, is Clerks, where that camera barely moves at all, but there, that, that film has a, a very loyal following. But is that a good movie? Oh, I think Clerks is a good film, yeah. Hmm. Now, I don't think that it's his best film. No, no. But it, I think that's a, a very good I film. I mean, I enjoy the heck out of it, yeah. right? And I think that you and I are more predisposed to enjoy it in... Because of our age group. Our age group and everything else. Indie I mean, 90s it, it cinema, really we were in college. Fits, yeah. right? But is it a good movie? I mean, if you showed... You know, not somebody who's going to be offended by the content and the language, but just your random person. Would they be bored or would they be entertained? I mean, if you're over what, 27 and you saw it for the first time, you probably wouldn't like it. Well, you know, my uncle who was in his 
probably late 50s, saw Dogma, and he hated it. And he hated it. Yeah, he just absolutely fucking hated it. Right. Yeah. And and I get it. I kind of get that, but, I mean, that's... And, I mean, Clerks is one of those things where it's a portrayal of a specific time frame in people's lives. Right? I, at least I think. Right. Um, I don't know. I mean, but Clerks is definitely shot. It's kind of amateurish. And that's yeah. not one of those well, things I mean, that says that it's damned. It's like, yeah, fuck this shit. Well, sex slice and videotape doesn't have a whole lot of camera movement. In no, it. And a lot of people no. look at that and just rave about it. And... Well, that was definitely a, I mean, Soderbergh is definitely a better filmmaker than Kevin Smith. Oh yeah, no doubt. Yeah. And right. Smith would be the first one to tell you that. <laughs> he would be the first one to tell you a lot of things, but <laughs> I mean, holy crap. He will not say yeah. nothing. Yeah. It's hard to get him to shut up. Oh yeah. my God. It's, it's kind of exhausting. Him and his 37 podcasts. It's, it's, he's prolific. Yeah. We'll give him that for sure. Well, he's got his own brand. Yes. And it, his brand is successful. That's his job. His mortgage. Yeah. That's not a problem. I'm and not, it's, it's almost like, uh, I mean, I don't know. Uh, like, I'm a fan of his, but even I have a limit. Right. But he he seems to have created a product which is critic-proof. It yeah. is. Absolutely. It, it is absolutely critic-proof. Because his fans, and, and that will include me, will right. go see his shit knowing full well. It's going to suck. It, or it's not going to have the same level of, you know, like. How was the latest one? You saw that. Yeah, I saw Reboot. Yeah. And I, I mean. Was it his worst film? Like, I'm trying to think, what is his worst film? And then Jane related... Jane Silent Bob Strike Back? Yeah, you were not a fan of that one? Oh, God, it was terrible. Okay. So, by that definition, Reboot would be his worst film. Because really? it was it was definitely not as good as Jane Silent Bob Strike Back. That's not encouraging. However, I did, I did not think that... But I didn't see Tusk. I didn't see Red State. Okay. I didn't see Cop Out. Well, I mean... right. Oh, well, Cop Out has to be his worst okay, film. Okay, so that's his worst. Holy shit. <laughs> but yeah. do you consider that his film? Uh, Using quotes. Yeah, I, I think that Cop Out is definitely his film, and I I think that uh, Cop Out is his worst film. However, I will I will put this caveat on it. If you are a Kevin Hart, was it Kevin Hart who was in that? No, Trace, it was a Tracy, Tracy Morgan. Tracy Morgan, who's okay. great. I love Tracy right. Morgan. If you're a Tracy Morgan fan, you will love Cop Out. Mm, fascinating. I, I really think that. And I might try to watch it then. And I think you know, it's kind of like uh, you know, if you're if you're a Medea fan, you're gonna love Medea. Oh, okay, that's fair. Right? Yeah. And and if you're an Eddie Murphy you're fan, Kevin you're Smith gonna fan, love, you're love it. Well, yeah, uh, but I, I. But I understand that that movie isn't really a. When you think Kevin Smith, mm-hmm. you have a pretty specific, you know, checklist of things it has to be. Yes. Right, and I've heard, not that I've seen it, yeah, that it doesn't really check all the boxes. I would say that it's not a typical Kevin Smith film. Right. It's probably the, the the one outlier as far as not really like his other films. Because right, you've seen all of his movies, right? Is there, are there, I have. have. You missed any? Yeah, no, I don't think I have. I think I've so, seen everything. Yeah. It's one of those that I understand, but like I said, not mm. seeing because once I got to Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, I think was the last Kevin Smith movie I saw. Oh wow! I think it yeah, is. Yeah, so there's a lot left out. Yeah, right. So because I remember going to the movie theater and said, "Okay, I'm I'm just done. <laughs> right. I'm just done." He had a good run. He had a good run, <laughs> and I'm not a, no. The Clerks two came out afterwards, right? Uh, yeah, it came after right, that. So I yeah, saw yeah. Clerks two. Yeah, but you know there are. Oh jeez, I totally flew off the rails. I'm sorry. That's okay. But it is one of those where, yeah, but a lot of them you could like, from what I understand, you could show somebody Tusk 
And they may not look at it and say, oh, yeah, that's a Kevin Smith movie. Hmm. But you can tell them after the fact, like, yeah, that was by Kevin Smith. And he's like, oh, yeah, I guess I kind of could see that. Yeah. So Tusk and, and Red State are, are do not look like Smith films. But they feel like Smith they, films. They, they feel like And it. just cop out feel. No. See, that's why I wonder if it's a yeah. Kevin Smith movie. Well, I, I understand that there are large segments of Cop Out that he did not direct. Okay. Um, it, he left the, the second unit a lot of leeway. Um, and they, they did large sequences like all of the action scenes. Uh, there's a huge car chase scene. And basically, he, he just did dialogue scenes. and Which makes sense. You know, of right. Course. Makes complete sense. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I don't, I don't hate Cop Out. I just... I, I own it, in fact, because it was five dollars at Target. What but, if it was six? Let me think about it. All right, fair enough. Yeah, but I mean, going back to to Tusk and Red State, and even Yoga Hosers. Oh, even he hates that movie. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't understand why, and he, but you know, he's he's also self deprecating. Like it. After, yeah, he's he's playing into he, it. He's, he is. I think that, he's trying to get people to watch it because yeah. he. Talks but, about how bad it is. Right. By siding with him. Like he, you know, he bitched about Red State when it came out and, and then he bitched about uh, Tusk and then he bitched about uh, Yoga Hosers. He's, he said that he, that, you know, that's a bad movie. Don't go and see it. And or I made this fucking walrus flick. Don't go see it. But it would, it will surprise you that those movies aren't nearly as bad as people say they no, are. That wouldn't they surprise they are. me. Cause right. right now the image in my head is that it's so bad that if it's not just detritus, I'll be like, Oh, that's pretty good. Right, right. I mean, uh, particularly those three films because they are so different from each other. Right, they're remarkably different. Like Red State, is, as as a, a political film, is just very, I won't say shocking. It just moves in different directions. And Tusk, as a horror film, trying to trying to mix with comedy, and not necessarily his brand of comedy, but is 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 very different from from his dick and fart. Movies. Yeah, you don't need. To- you don't need to stay that stagnant and always do the same thing over and over right. again. But right. it is one of those where sometimes you can really kind of tell. It's like, you know, Hugo oh. is a Scorsese movie. And yeah. If you watched it, you probably wouldn't know that. Yeah, but if somebody I, said, hey, that was Scorsese, you'd probably say, hey, oh, actually, I could see that. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, that's probably... Yeah. Whereas, you know, sometimes it's just like, what the fuck did that person do? I can't think of any off the top of my head. They do exist, but I'm just totally blanking where... Yeah, Hugo's not bad. No, but it doesn't. But it doesn't look like a Scorsese film. Yeah. Well, and see, I, but I think feel, it kind of yeah. feels like it because it yeah. it's always moving, you know? And, yeah. And it's just, it's kind of, quote, alive, end of quote. Right. Okay. So, okay. I don't know. That's just, I was just curious. How did we get on that one? Uh, yeah, I don't know. All right, fair enough. Um, but that's what the special edition is for. That is true. This is for us. Yeah, this is. So... Going back to M briefly. Yes. And we kind of covered this during the commentary, but do you see anything fascist in M? Well, you know, fascist to me in the right now has become such an overused phrase that I'm starting to get a little bit, you know, unstable on what the actual definition is, right? So fascism to me has always been beyond just phenomenal style um, about maybe I should the narrow state, it. if maybe, you will, yeah. being more important than the individual. And I don't know if I necessarily see that, but I also don't know if my 
you know definition that I just put out. I want to. I want to. Yeah, I want to narrow it a bit because I don't. <clears throat> okay, so fascism. You know. Oh, you're looking up the terminology. I'm not using the Wikipedia one. I can tell you that. You know, find the Webster. I'm going to use the Merriam-Webster, and yeah. that is from the Italian a fascist. political a political philosophy movement or regime such as that of the of the fasciti that exalts nation and often race above the ind- individual and stands for a centralized autocratic government headed by a dicta- dictatorial leader severe economic and social regimentation and forcible suppression of opposition so by that definition no the film the film itself is is nowhere near that right yeah but is there is there any element in it that leans that way like i was saying before well, yes. how, yeah. how shank right. okay. is you so know. yeah i mean i think that the public who as if anybody's still listening if everybody listened to the first one knows i'm not a huge fan of right i don't like mob rule i don't like the public not saying i don't like people i just don't like masses of people because you know there's the whole thing from a uh, life of brian you must all learn to think for yourselves. We must all learn to think for ourselves. That it's like, that's kind of the way it is. And that's what enables fascism is just this, you know, monolithic one think. We're okay. This is what we're doing. And that allows those people who are assholes to do anything they want to do. It's dangerous. Yeah. I can't think of a single thing off the top of my head, which means I'm wrong, of course, that it greatly benefited society. I mean, usually one thing is the worst thing possible. So, the answer is kind of? Question mark? How about you? I mean, other than Shank's character, no. Why'd you ask the question? Oh. Okay. Wanted your opinion. That's fair. I'm just curious. (laughs) Yeah. Why do you like him? The police procedural perspective? I, I suspect it probably is. I try usually not to think about why do I like things. I generally don't like to evaluate why I enjoy anything. It doesn't make me feel very good or very smart. So that goes back to the Big Bang Theory of I don't need a reason to like the things that I like. I just like them when they're complaining about. You I've know, never the, seen that show. Uh, I, I am. I've. Um, but it is one of those where I think that's pretty accurate. Yeah. Well, I had never watched the Big Bang Theory. I just saw that clip on uh-huh. on something. My wife is a huge huge fan of it, but pop culture is a is a large seg- segment of the show. And sure. they were complaining about George Lucas changing shit in in yes. the special editions, and that's what this guy was. And I don't remember which character it was, but that's that's what he was saying was I don't need a reason to like the shit that I like. I yeah. just like it because I like it. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, I watched. Uh... I watched the, uh, <laughs> I insisted to the family that we watched the, uh, nice guys again last night. Oh yeah. I, I haven't, I, st- I still haven't seen that. Yeah, I know. Oh, really? I know. Yeah. I still, oh, I, that's totally up your alley. I suspect. Yeah, I, I have it. I just haven't seen it. Oh yet. wow. That is okay. So I have a lot of stuff that I need to see. Yeah. But that one's really, really entertaining. <laughs> and I don't know really why I enjoy it so much because everybody's an asshole, <laughs> you know, it's just full of terrible people doing kind of mediocre, to terrible things. And, you know, Shane Black is kind of a pariah, it seems like. Yes. Anything his name is associated with is just like, ah, he's terrible, he's misogynistic, he's this, he's that. And I say, well, I fucking love that movie. 
And I don't know why, because probably because... Actually, I do know why. Because hmm. it's just... It's just legitimately, objectively funny. There are things that happen that I couldn't imagine myself ever thinking of. And that's probably it as much as anything. The things that I like are things that I could never really imagine myself. You know, that's always the thing we always hate, right? Is when you go to a movie or you watch a play or you listen to some music and you're like, going, that's kind of, I mean, I certainly I can't do it, obviously, but this isn't anything that I couldn't imagine the best version of myself doing, right? The Foo Fighters are a great example. I should love the Foo Fighters. It's catchy. It's hard rock. Dave Grohl seems like by far the coolest motherfucker on the planet to hang out with from at least a musician standpoint. And it just, to me, falls flat because every time I hear it, it's like, okay, I know I can't make this music. But it's like, I could see if I put in the 10,000 hours, this is the best I could do. And there are some bands, you know, you're, you've got this list or this uh, image of. Oh, my iTunes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like there's wallpaper is taking over because the computer's in state right. mode. And there's Wilco's Summer Teeth, and that 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 album is full of just music I couldn't, I never could have imagined until I heard it. Hmm. So, I think that with M is one of those that, yeah, at this point I could imagine it because it established cliches in a whole subgenre or two, right? But it's so professionally done and so just interesting to me from the visual component as much as anything that I just find it eminently watchable. Well, and not to bash things that aren't professionally done because we just, Oh yeah. Talked about it. No, there, like there, there are things that are not professionally yes. done that I love too. A lot of porn is not professionally done. Yeah. And some of it I like, yeah. and I like clerks. I yeah. do like clerks. And it's not professionally done. Not at all. Not at all. That's part of its charm. That may be all of its charm, actually. And then 37? Or how many was the number? Yeah, it's 37. It's 37. Yeah. It is 37. <laughs> yeah. So I, I went to the um, I went to the Scum and Villainy Cantina. Yes, I would love to hear about this. Yeah, and I took my son, and I think it was the... I think it was the week before the governor of California instituted the shelter in place. It was the, it was a Friday before and and refrain from speaking. Okay. Done. Yeah. Pull that off. Thank you. Yeah. We're not going to get political on this show other than what film is. Right. Um, so the, Oh shit. I got to do that too. So, uh, anyway, uh, Mark Bernardin is there as a screenwriter, Hollywood screenwriter. And, Smith showed up. Very clever guy. Yes. Bernard's got to like a lot of things that he says. are like, oh, that is a good fucking idea. Yeah. Yeah. He seems to, he seems to have that screenwriter. Yeah. Screenwriter point of view. Yeah. But he, I mean, I I have heard him on that show where he will come up with ideas that are like, oh, "Oh, fuck, that is a good idea. Oh, you mean the fat man on Batman? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, that is a really good idea. Well, he's writing for Picard now. Oh, okay. Which which I was like completely not like a Picard and I wasn't interested at all. But then I was like, oh, so. Bernardin's writing for Picard. I'm a little well, bit more. Interested. I'm a little bit more interested. Yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, anyway, so Smith comes in and he's wearing a uh, he's wearing a, a jersey. He always wears go figure hockey jerseys. Yeah, and he had uh, I've seen it before on 
you know, Twitter eventually when he shows up and he will, if you surf Twitter for longer than five minutes, eventually you'll see him. But, um, he had the number 37 stenciled as like a Jersey number okay. on his shirt. That's clever. Like I, that was okay. That That's was funny. pretty good. Yeah. Good callback. For sure. For sure. Okay. Uh, moving on. Yes. When we did our first special report. Yes. Last year. Oh God. Time flies when you're on quarantine. On their first. Yeah. So God, what was the first episode we did? Terminator. Yes. We actually brought up the 1918 influenza on that episode. Oh, did we really? Yes. And we were, we were ramble talking. How prescient are we? We were rambling on about nothing for about 30 minutes. And we I brought thought it was longer than that, but okay. We, well, before that topic <laughs> came up. And here we are dealing with a pandemic. And That's not near as severe as the 1918 Spanish right, flu, but, you know, whatever. Right, yeah. And, and again, we're not going to get into... We're not going to get into that. ...opinions or... Politics. We're going to get an opinion on that, that particular so topic. This is what I wanted to relate that to. Again, my son and I were were in California. Yes. Yeah, and the whole thing shut down. The whole thing was shut down uh, th- that that Friday, if I remember correctly. The previous Tuesday, we went to Paramount, and Paramount on the, in the lobby when we we registered for the tour, they had the history of Paramount Pictures up on the wall. I guess there were about seventy or eighty pictures. And each one had a little little plaque beside it explaining who the person was in the picture and their contribution to Paramount or the thing or whatever it was. And uh, they had a they had one of Adolf Zucker, okay, who was the founder of the company that bought Paramount and then took Paramount's name. It was his idea to create the Thirty Six Stars, which is a super cool logo. It is, yeah. I, and I bought the T-shirt in the gift shop, just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. And um, it said that during one of those plaques said during the the eighteen pandemic, nineteen pandemic, all the theaters were closed. Of course, Zucker sent people who worked for him all over the country. Under shell company names, and they bought up most of the country's theaters. After <sighs> about ten months, these guys were hurting. Oh yeah, and they needed They're to ready for something. Their, yeah, right. And so he and he didn't do it immediately. He didn't do it after six months. He waited until it was almost a year, and he sent them out to buy up the theaters. And then after it was all said and done with, Paramount owned most of. This nation's movie theaters. Which then, which then necessitated became, the whole breaking of that, but gone. Well, it, well, it, first of all, it vertically integrated. Right. But they uh, broke Paramount. That. They broke it in the 50s. Okay. It was that yeah, late. It was, that much yeah, later. it was okay. the 50s when they came down and said, you're not allowed to own your movie. And that coupled with TV, like it was, it was just a matter of time for the golden age of Hollywood. Right. It was over. Uh, so Zucker was the first one to vertically integrate it. And, the other Which thing is a that, no-brainer. Super smart. It was it was ingeniously smart. Even as I was reading it on the wall, I was thinking yeah, that is course. so evil. Yeah. But it was such a good move. Well, it's not inherently evil. Oh, it's not inherently evil. What do you do with it? Maybe evil, but it's not inherently. I think evil. I think it's the percentage that's involved. It's troubling. It's, absolute power, absolute corruption, but it right. doesn't necessarily. But it forced, in and of itself. But it forced people like Jack Warner uh-huh. to come out of Burbank <laughs> and go to Zucker's place and say, let's make a deal. Because you couldn't see a Warner Brothers movie unless you talked to Adolf Zucker. 
Which is, who's your competition? Super smart. It, it was super smart. Yeah. But eventually, you know, all the theaters were... It all worked out. Yeah, it all worked out. Right. Until there's none left. Right. Um, you should totally buy a movie theater. What is the future of the movie theater? Oh, I think the future of the movie theater is robust. I think it'll work out. But I don't know when. Um, it's like, how many times has the death knell of something been sounded... That eventually is, you know, looked back as a footnote. And I, I suspect that the movie theaters are going to be very similar, if not identical to that, because there's a couple things. People need to be together. Not all the time. Look at all the divorces that happen. But we like, you know, the communal experiences. And... Concerts, movies, things of that sort are, I think, to a certain degree, critically important to the human experience. So I think it's one of those that everything eventually will come back around. Kind of like I also think that $100 oil will come back around as well, right? So I may be an idiot, and some people out there are saying yes, and I already turned you off. But I do think that... It's kind of an inevitability that, yeah, it will come back. It will probably not be, quote, stronger than ever, but it'll probably be a viable and critical component to our entertainment. I mean, there's going to be something, whether it's Avatar 2 or Avengers, this time it's personal, or something you and I haven't even thought of that will bring people out. And there will be some billion-dollar monstrosity that makes us all forget how it was like when nobody was there. So that's my gut feeling. I mean, I I love movies at the house. I have a nice sound system. I got a decent-sized TV. I got almost anything I could possibly want to see. I would much rather watch most of these things in the big, loud, comfortable... You know, give me a beer auditorium with other people. Because movies in and of themselves are my favorite part is the communal aspect afterwards. Getting together and talking yeah, about it. Yeah, getting together and talking about it. Ah, that was awesome. Oh, that made me think. Oh, man, that was fucking the worst. All that stuff, you know, that's kind of part of the reason to go. What are your thoughts? Well, I'm, I'm really concerned... Because of the situation that we're in and it being banned. But is it different than what you were saying with the 1918? No, it's it's no different. Um, thank you. And it came back from that. Of course, there were less options then, of course. But, right? Yeah, there were. It, it was a more uncertain time, I would say. Right. Um, but there was no internet. Right. And there were, there were no TV in the homes. There were no DVDs. There was no streaming services. And that, and that's where my inherent fear. Now I, I tell you that I have digital films and I have access to streaming services on my phone. I never use them to watch movies. Oh, I never watched it, a movie on my phone. I couldn't imagine it. It does not appeal to me to, no, to watch uh, the departed on, on my phone no. at all. I don't do it's very difficult for me to watch YouTube on my phone. I was about to say, I don't like watching YouTube on my phone. I don't do it. And so, 
and part of it is the, I mean, I don't want to go over just obvious ground, but there's something special about being in that structure yeah. with that enormous screen in front of you and being in a sense invited there Oh yeah, uh, to take part in something. And you're, you're looking at your phone. You're just not, it's not the same. Mm. And my TV is not big enough to take over my entire field of vision. And there is that, you know, sensation of having your entire focus occupied by something like that. So I, I don't know what the answer is. My hope is what I stated as opposed to what I know. That's, that's what I'm hoping. And I suspect I'm right because it makes me feel a lot better if I'm right. Did you check uh, Box Office Mojo for last week? Oh, God, no. You know it came number one? I have no clue. It's a movie I never heard of. Do you want to know? Yeah. Jurassic Park. I've heard of that, actually. Yeah. Okay. You know what number two was? Back to the Future. Jaws. Oh, so we're, we're big fans of getting eaten. Uh, Back to the Future was in the top ten. Okay. So was... Goonies, okay, and E.T. Heartwarming. Is this one of those? Yeah. So Spielberg's having one hell Spielberg's of a month. Killing it. <laughs> Spielberg is killing it. He had five in the top ten. Is Spielberg the most important filmmaker of all time? Oh man, it's going to be very hard to say no. It really is, isn't it? And I, I have noticed, like a. I want to say in like an anti-Spielberg bit. Yeah, but nobody wants to say... Nobody wants to say... Nobody wants to say Spielberg is my favorite director, but... Right. Why not? The guy's incredible. Yeah. Even his later stuff. Even... Well, what's the worst movie he did? 1941? Yeah. And that is sucks. It sucks. But it doesn't suck as much as so many other artists. His his threshold is... uh, I don't know. Like, th- there's two movies. I looked it up. Uh, there's two movies that Spielberg made oh, and Hook. that, that didn't make. Yeah, everyone hates Hook. There's two movies, but even that movie made money. There's two movies that Spielberg made that didn't make money. The first one was 1941, as everybody knows. Okay. The second one is Munich. So Okay, that makes sense, too. Uh, but it's one of those situations where um, if, if you don't have the baggage and you watch something in a vacuum and you're unaware of, of, of yeah. the p- politics around it, then you just don't know. So I watch that with my son. I, I don't tell him the whole history of things before we watch it. I just let him see it walking in and seeing it. He had the same experience I had when I saw Munich in the theater, which is, holy shit, that was badass. Yeah. And I like Munich. It's not a perfect film. No. It doesn't mean it sucks. But it's got, it's got some great stuff in it. And I get that there's, there's more moral ambiguity in the film that people are not comfortable isn't that good though with watching yeah i I think that's healthy to 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 explore that side and i think that's why he made the film i can't speak for the man obviously but it it befuddles me that 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 film didn't make money out of out of all of his films like you say it makes sense it's certainly not a not a a thing you want to throw down 25 bucks on a friday well well i did because i wanted to see some right terrorists die but you know that's but, Beside you know, the point. if you're on a regular, you know, single guy on a date, it's not one of those you pick out of a, you know. No, you you, you definitely don't want to take the girl out there if you're hoping to get laid later. 
But it is one of those where, I mean, the absolute worst movies he's done, they're still competent. Yeah. They're still yeah. good. Well, uh, The Post, um, we, we went to go see that, and I like The Post quite a bit. Um, it's I don't own it, really. Um, it's not something that I'm eager to watch again, but it's it's a good movie. Right. I, I was kind of frustrated in the beginning with when it when the film opens in Vietnam, and I was like, "Don't do it! Don't do it! Please don't do it!" And they played CCR. Well, because yeah, <laughs> that was the theme song to the war. That's that's exactly. You must have seen the post. I have and, actually not seen and, the post. Oh, but you knew this. Oh, song. it is because it, it works. I mean, your brain, you close your eyes and like that's the way we're going to envision the Vietnam War. It's Fortunate Son and Napalm. Yeah, of course. It I was like fun. both those things. Of course, it was Fortunate Son. The, the fact that you knew that does not surprise me. Guess that. Okay, so so next week, uh, depending on what Governor Abbott wants to do, uh, I actually bought tickets for Fury Road, which is playing Friday night. Oh, okay. And there's a lot of social distancing going on in the theater. It's every other seat. And the, the two huge theaters, which are the, the two 70-millimeter screens, are the only ones that they're, they're putting people into for, for right now. Uh, but I cannot wait to see Fury Road on a 70-millimeter screen. That would be pretty dope. That's exciting. It's not 3D, right? Uh, no. Thank God. No. Okay. I mean, those are the two screens that they show 3D on. Right. But, but these are 2D. Yeah. Uh, I saw Fury Road when it came out. I don't know. Was it 2012, 2013? Is and that, that long ago? Fucking flabbergasted. I thought it was like 15 yeah. or 16. I thought it, it was well, it might have been, might have been later. Not yeah, important. Have, yeah, but I was, I was flabbergasted. Oh yeah, I was fucking. It shocked. should not have been that good. Yeah, yeah it was. In, George it, Miller took a long time to get to that. And yeah. his last Mad Max movie before then was not fucking good. Oh my god, no. Well, uh, Thunder, Thund- Thunderdome is not good. Thunderdome is not good. It's got elements in it that are interesting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it could have been good as a narrative. Yeah, but it wasn't. That's the disappointing thing. Yeah, and yeah, it was PG thirteen, wasn't yeah. it? Like that's that probably why I didn't like fucking it. Fucking first problem, yeah. right? God, exactly. it's like, are oh, you yeah. kidding me? Okay, uh, so Saturday I've got tickets to Raiders. Very cool. And Sunday, I've got tickets to Blade Runner. Look at you. So the, the tickets are five bucks. So it's kind of like, That's actually not bad. why, That's a pretty good deal. why yeah. are we not doing this? The, the, only, the only reason you wouldn't is strictly health. No, I, I'll tell you, the other thing was uh, Blade Runner was released uh, in November 2019. But 35 years ago, what, repeat that? Blade Runner was re-released. Oh, re-released. Okay. Yeah, in, in November 2019 for the... For the to coincide with when the movie is supposed to actually take okay. place, because when it opens, it says November twenty nineteen, Los Angeles. Gotcha. Right. So they Warner Brothers thought that it would be funny be if cool. they, yeah. they really right. So so Luke and I went to go see it. Uh, we we saw it. It's thirty five mil. I saw it on a standard screen. <clears throat> was it digital production or actually it was digital? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I oh, I have not seen a film. Oh my god! It's been quite a while. I like early two thousands. You think it's been a while? Yeah, yeah. I, I haven't it's seen probably, it's probably film, more like film. early twenty tens. Yeah. Well, for I you. Bet you, no, no. I bet you you're. I bet you they were still showing celluloid early twenty tens. <sighs> been a long See time. The since cigarette seen cigarette burns. Yeah, I, I used to watch man, watch for that all the time. I I don't think I've seen it. Must be two thousand three, two thousand four since I've seen a, a film film, uh, film on film. Um, Anyway, so we, we saw Blade Runner, the first one, and I was really amazed. I've seen that film 
oh my God. Like I can't count how many times I've seen that film. I mean, it must be, I must be in the neighborhood of 80, 90, a hundred. No. Yes. There's no For, freaking way. I've seen that film on videotape, on Laserdisc, on DVD. I have seen that film on TV. I, I okay. have seen that film a lot. Like it rivaled the only film probably that I've seen more star wars yeah i know i haven't seen star wars yeah. that many times i've seen star wars and empire and jedi each over a hundred times you I think garen goddamn to you yes wow absolutely that's a lot it is but i had you know divorced parents i'm not saying it's and, unhealthy and i'm just saying well, that's a lot yeah i had a lot of videos i don't think my son watched iron man or cards a hundred times although he might have actually mm, iron have. man I'm, I'm probably in the 10 neighborhood well david definitely watched iron, iron man yeah. 50 times yeah. Okay, but go but, on. But anyway, so I've seen the movie a lot. I'm very familiar Quite a few with it now. This was the final cut. This was the the I latest. I haven't watched that one yet. It's I have to say, uh, along with the the continuity errors that they they fixed, mm-hmm. and it's a shorter version, and um, it flows better. They did they did some. CGI work to help the narrative, that's like okay. the stunt woman's face and yeah, all that's that. That's not necessarily terrible. No, no, I think they did an excellent job, but it, it is by far my favorite version. Okay. Um, you're not distracted by all of the bullshit of all the, the, you know, like the one, the one spinner that came down, you could clearly see the wire, right? right? You're not distracted by all of that. And so it, it flows better. Um, you know, you can, you can argue about the narrative, but anyway, the thing that, the thing that really, really, I don't want to say shocked me, but the thing that I noticed the most in every single shot was the color. Oh, I believe that. The yeah. color yeah. of the film really, like, I remember it being dark. It's mm-hmm. a neo-noir. It's, you know. But it's it's it's, it's also colorful. It's very colorful. Yeah. And it's something that I, I did not notice in the VHS or in the DVDs or sure. the, the hundred that. times that I watched it. But I noticed it in the theater. I was like, oh, my Lord, this is a very colorful oh, film. Oh, yeah. I believe that. I believe yeah. that. So I'm going back on Sunday. That's cool. That'll be fun. Yeah. And if if you get a chance, they're they're playing other stuff too. I'm just not interested in it, like Mean Girls and stuff like that. Yeah, I can see that. Okay. Dirty Harry. I mentioned before that hmm? uh, the boy and I rewatched all of them. All five. Yeah. I don't know if I'd want to watch any of them besides the first one. Really? I don't think I would. The That's, first one is very much a, it's a kind of a, it's an experience, right? The first one is like, it's not a pleasant movie. I mean, it is ugly. It is violent. It is, it kind of really fits perfectly into this mythos, right? And everyone afterwards, it kind of progressively turns them into more of a cartoon character. Really, I, th- I think so. You know, don't get me wrong. I mean, I like them, but it's one of those that I don't know if I'd want to watch them again. The first one is a shockingly brutal, you know, kind of grimy film. It's sort of a spiritual successor to, you know, Bullet and you know other things of that ilk. I don't know if it came, it came out before French Connection. I presume. Uh, French Connection was seventy, so it's probably because uh, Dirty Harry was seventy-one. Okay, so kind of the same time frame, and it's kind of like that, right? It's a kind of a gritty and ugly, and I mean, the last one, of course, has Jim Carrey, which makes it super dope. Because Welcome to the Jungle, 
Yeah. And I like that. The Deadpool. But it's a terrible movie. At least that's my recollection. I only saw it once. I saw it in the theater. I walked out and said, man, I didn't like that. I mean, I liked it, but I didn't like it. <laughs> but, I mean, I think he's a he's a really interesting character. Harry is. Yeah, I think he really is. He's what people want to be, but don't want to exist. Everybody wants to be Dirty Harry, but nobody wants to have Dirty Harry out there. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't want to do that. He's not, he's, he's not dissimilar in some regards to Batman. It's like, you're a lunatic. But... It's pretty cool to watch it. Yeah. But I, I'm, I'm sorry. I just rambled on there. For no, that's that's the opinion that I wanted. What, um, what's your opinion on? <clears throat> well. I mean, obviously, Dirty Dirty Harry is the, is the best out of the, the four or five. Um, <laughs> you can call it four because what's the one? Sudden Impact? Yeah. Sandra Locke? Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Doesn't even count. Well, I, well, I Why actually, did he... What was the whole Sandra Locke, I love her... I mean, I don't get that one at all. The relationship? Yeah. It's like, you're Clint. Oh, you can have any woman in the world and you can choose Sandra At least Locke. 90% of them. You, you didn't think that she was a fairly attractive person? No. Or, oh, okay. I mean, she's not... She's impulsive. not unattra- unattractive. She's yeah. not ugly, but it's like, really? But he certainly has a type. You would, you would expect like a... Italian model or something of that nature. I'm not sure, but not Sandra Locke. Okay. I can see Meryl Streep more than Sandra Locke, which is probably why Bridges of Madison County did so well. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's an odd film for him. Like yeah. It, Clint crying on screen. But it's, actually, little, Clint's kind of... Really odd. He'll be, he'll be an interesting reevaluation in 50 years. Oh, I, I see that. The trajectory of his career is just extraordinarily strange. It's very strange. Yeah. It's really remarkable. Yeah, it's actually worthy of a lot of deep dives. It is, and it's kind of it's kind of weird. But, Ooh, yeah. I know who Sandra Locke is. Sandra Locke is the ugliest possible version of Jessica Chastain imaginable. You're welcome. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna have to uh... move on. Yeah, I'm gonna have to move on on that. Okay, so. First of all, getting getting back to Dirty Harry. First of all, like I, I oh, that was the point. Sorry. Yeah, that's okay. I I was uh, I knew and have known that Don Siegel directed Dirty Harry, and he directed Clint and a, a number of things. Escape from Alcatraz. Good flick. I, I think there's a there's another one, and I I actually covered a Don Siegel film on the Super Seventy. Uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, Good which movie. is a, a great film. It's got a lot of style in it. Uh, Kevin McCarthy is, is awesome in it, and I I just I find it amazing that really I think that that's Don Siegel's best film, just just in terms of of the quality, and it's the lowest B movie grade film that he ever made. Um, there there's almost no visual style to Dirty Harry. Or any of the Dirty Harry films. And the more Eastwood movies I watch, the the less visual style I see. I think those two films that he made about Iwo Jima, Flags of Our Fathers and, and uh, Letters from Iwo Jima, had the most style in it. When you say style, how do you define that? Uh, a, a shooting style 
which helps the narrative along. Okay. Uh, they seem Dirty Harry seems to be shot, and all of them seem to be well, shot. Wait. I mean, we're looking at two different things, right? Because are you talking about Eastwood directed films, or just that he's involved in? All of Eastwood's films have a have a lack of style that is shocking. Like, okay. I mean, even even uh, Play Misty for Me, um, The Iger Sanction, um, the. the he, he didn't direct the Deadpool. He directed Sudden Impact. That that right. film is, uh, after the first hour, it's horrid. Oh, I don't doubt that at all. Yeah. Uh, now, the first hour, it really packs a punch. And unfortunately, it's it's really setting you up for a huge failure. Now, there's a huge character change in, in Harry, which is kind of strange for Harry's character. And if you don't like it, then I guess you don't like that film. But whatever. But it, it just... Everything just looks like, I don't want to it's, say there was no thought in where to put the camera. No, but, it's kind of remarkably, um, it's kind of flat. Yes. It's almost TV-ish. Yes. Almost. Yes. TV from like the 90s or 2000s. Or 70s. Yeah. Well, nothing's, it's, yeah. it's certainly a step up over Three's Company. And Brady Bunch. It's certainly a step up over a Step Three's. up from Brady Bunch. I don't know about Three's Company. I was a big fan of that. So I was a big fan of the Brady Bunch. But it just, it seems very stale. It seems very common. It seems very, uh, I don't care, just get the shot. Yeah, it is certainly workmanship or work workmanlike. But I think Unforgiven is well, I haven't, a little bit I haven't, different. I haven't seen Unforgiven, I think, since it came out. Right. I think Unforgiven is one of those you'd be... You probably have a different perspective. It, is my it, guess. it might be, but you know, I just saw the Mule last year, mm-hmm. and and this is strange because I like Eastwood's films. Oh, I like know. Eastwood a lot, but I, I'll be um, I'll be honest with you, I've seen a lot less Eastwood films than I probably should. Yeah, well, I've seen Million Dollar Baby a couple of years ago. That was my first time. Um, with the, with the the Richard Jewell, which I liked Richard Jewell, but I it do was, want to see that. It was the same pattern. He's definitely got a American sniper. It was the same pattern of just extraordinarily truncated filmmaking. Hmm. Of okay, we're here. Turn the camera on. Do you know? And do your he's thing. he's very famous for like first take, One second time. take, and move on. He's the anti fincher Right. Right. And, and that's not inherently bad. That's that's not inherently bad. It's just it just does not seem like he takes very much planning. At yeah. all, Con- or, considering what we just watched, like or it's one of those where he knows that the movie's going to get made in the editing room. Yes, it's it's quite possible. I don't know. The the other aspect of it was that very. I was kind of unfamiliar. I watched a god, I don't know how many documentaries on Clint Eastwood and Dirty Harry and and the whole phenomenon because they're on every disc. There's like one or two documentaries, oh, yeah. but you know, he and Don Siegel had this. Uh, relationship um a mentor protege relationship uh dating back to rawhide where apparently siegel directed rawhide. a couple of uh, episodes when eastwood was playing uh, rowdy yates on mm-hmm. rawhide yeah rowdy yates. Yeah. exactly yeah and and um eastwood picked that up and then ran with that sort of school of thought or that that mode and People were comparing it to uh John Ford and John Wayne John Houston Humphrey Bogart I was I was kind of thinking, I don't know, like maybe 
I mean, what what is a, what is a modern day director schooling another modern day director? What could you relate that to? Scorsese and De Niro. Well, De Niro see, doesn't really direct. Well, right, but Eastwood was a director. So people saying John Ford and John Wayne. Well, John Wayne never directed yeah, never anything, directed. right? And Humphrey Bogart Brad, didn't either. Who? Uh, uh, brain lock. Um, there was actually one that came. I was thinking about a director who schooled another director. Yeah, and I actually had one. Oh shit. We're going to have to table it, but there, I think there is one. Well, I know like Milius became a, a, a director and he had worked so, so close and so long writer. with Coppola. Right. Right. But I, I can't say that Milius took a lot from Coppola's playbook. Not obviously. And Milius, by the way, he wrote Magnum Force, the second one. That doesn't surprise me. And it's, I, and I listened to that comment. He yeah, did you're the saying comment. it was bug nuts crazy. Oh my God. That man is crazy. Yeah. But. <laughs> fascinating and i won't say that he's wrong just he just says stuff that's kind of you know just a little bit unexpected oh yeah like uh don't you wish there because magnum force for our audience who may or may not know is the opposite of dirty harry it's the other side of the scale so harry tries to stop a group of cops who have uh turned themselves into some sort of star chamber where they go around being judge jury and executioner for a bunch of crooks that have got off from the system and uh, they know everyone knows that are guilty. And so it's Harry, who's the punisher in the first film, is now on the other side of the, the argument of, of trying to stop something that he knows is, is extra legality, this completely illegal. And Milius was saying stuff about, uh, yeah, but don't we need these Latin American paramilitaries to go around taking care of shit like this? I mean, don't don't you want someone like that taking care of people like Kenneth Lay and Jeff Skilling and yeah, in a perfect you world, know, yes. You, you know, it's just sort of <laughs> John Milius like condoning murder on a audio commentary was it's unexpected. It was very you, unexpected. I bet you're very glad you have that copy because I'm sure it will be pulled from shelves and not available anymore. Possibly. Apparently, he did a long time ago. Milius. There's a there's a documentary on Milius called Milius. It was it was actually produced by Scott Mosier, which okay. I think that yeah. you'll find very funny. It's unexpected. Yeah, and it, it was a very eye opening documentary, and it, it, not what I, I expected in terms of the man or the career. And I didn't know anything about his personality. I don't know anything about it. There's yeah. a very hysterical story about how uh, Coppola had brought him in during the ADR for Apocalypse Now. And uh, Martin Sheen was apparently just having some problems with the dialogue. And I mean, we needed more tense, Martin. We needed more tense. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? You can't get any more tense than right now. This is this is as tense as it's going to get. And Milius was kind of sitting around because he, he had a gun on him. And it was kind of like digging into his side in the seat. So he pulled his gun out. <laughs> it's a loaded 1911. Puts it on the table in front of Martin Sheen, who's like this world-famous pacifist. Right. <laughs> and Sheen just, apparently his asshole just puckered up. <laughs> And gave us like the most tense performance ever. <laughs> that would do it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, regardless, that, that if I that story is in Milius, I recommend you see that. Can't okay, watch that. All right. <sighs> Deep I'm, sigh. I'm hesitant to get into the next topic. Why? No time to die. Okay. Has been delayed until November. Yes. 
If not, I think it didn't get delayed again, or it got shifted in some capacity just recently. Oh, well. Maybe it's one of those. Where it it got, was supposed to come out, I think, in March. Right. But it got pushed back. And it got pushed back to November. I, think, I don't think. I think it got shifted again. It got again. shifted again. But into, I think it got maybe moved up into, a little bit. Oh, really? I think it might. Like a week. Because got pushed back. Yeah. But like uh, two weeks. Okay. Yes. James Bond. So. James Bond. In the last, you shouldn't be, you should not be hesitant to bring up this topic. This will be interesting. In the last uh, month, um, Luke and my wife and I have seen all the bonds. Gone through them all. Gone through them all. And I remember, I, I'm a huge James Bond fan. Yeah. I always have been. And I remember you and I having a conversation many years ago about how I said, like, if I Bond fan means that you like all the bonds, right? You, you took, Which is impossible. You took great issue with that. <laughs> and I just want to say publicly, for the record, you were right. Thanks. Live and let die. Not too good. Has got to be. Not, not too good. Not just the worst Bond film. It might be. But <laughs> it's it's a horrible film. It's a bad flick. That's the problem is that the bad Bonds are like, they're not bad Bonds. They're, they're bad fucking movies. They're bad fucking movies. Which is hard to imagine. You I think don't... there's this base level of competency, but some of them go below that. Yeah. It is shocking. I couldn't fucking believe it. I couldn't believe that I liked that movie so much in the past. Um, there, there are so many... There's so many things going on, it's hard to delineate them. Mm-hmm. First off is Roger Moore is fucking horrible. I don't know how anyone thought... That he was a good idea. Yeah, it doesn't really... It probably should have killed the franchise. Yeah. It's pretty remarkable it bounced back. It is. Because he probably should have killed it. Second of all, uh, the Bonds as a whole, for the first 20 years, mm-hmm. relied on pretty much four directors. Okay. Uh, Terrence Young, who did Dr. No, for instance. Guy Hamilton did Goldfinger. And he did Live and Let Die. Um, Peter Hunt, who is their editor, who did the the one-off with Lazenby oh, the, uh, on our uh, Majesty's Secret, Secret Service. Service. I never saw that one. And then uh, Lewis Gilbert, who did um, Spy Who Loved Me, which at the time people said was the greatest. I don't think that one's terrible. Ever. I don't think it's terrible. I might be wrong. I haven't seen it since I was in junior high. Barbara Bach is... Well, Ringo's a pretty lucky fella. Well, and they're still married, aren't they? I, as and far as I'm I aware, I think they, yeah. they are. Um, so the, the the thing that got me about Live and Let Die is, you know, they're, they're deliberately fucking with you. Okay. Mm. The filmmakers are, right? Yafak Kodo. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying his name. There you go. Just, okay. <laughs> he's so charming in the film. Mm-hmm. He, he's, he should be. The quintessential Bond villain. Yeah. And I really enjoy his performance in the film. I'm a huge Yafat Koto fan. Like, I remember going to see Midnight Run in the theater, and Yafat Koto shows up, and I'm like, fucking yes! That's how I feel about David Keith. Yeah. Yeah, David Keith is great. Yeah. He's in The uh, the Nice Guys. Is he? He is. Oh, one more reason to watch. I think he's yeah. watching. Um, Jane Seymour. Beautiful. Has always been just. Shocking. Yeah, beautiful. Shockingly sexy. Yeah. And if there's ever a reason, if I 
if I ever want to watch Live and Let Die again, it'll be because of Jane Seymour and, and that's Dakota. an okay reason. Yeah. Another uh, reason you want, but it's okay. But there seems to be no other goddamn way that I could ever put that disc in again. Yeah, I could see that. It's it's hor- the music is horrible, and, and here's my problem with the Bonds of the Hole, and like even even oh, Gold, Goldfinger. What? I do want to ask you a question. Yeah, yeah. Don't even forget. Go, go on. Okay, so here's my problem with the Bonds as a whole. It, at least the leading up to 1980. Okay. Okay, leading up to Moonraker. There, there's an element of production design led by Ken Adam, who's who's this brilliant production designer. And he's got an Oscar. And I and I adore Ken Adam. Uh, he he famously did uh, Strange Love. And like the, the war room in Strange Love was his. And yeah. he, I, th- I think he won an there's Oscar. There's no fighting in here. Right, the there's no room. fighting in the war room. Yeah, and, and, and he, he designed the 007 soundstage. It was the largest soundstage in the world where they, they had the three submarines and, um, and, uh, and Spy, Spy Love Me. And and um, the, the guy is just a genius. I don't want to take anything away from him, but there's, there's an element of the Bonds which looks extraordinarily cheap where you see a lot of the yeah. editing moves, and the editing moves are just like, well, why didn't you just fucking shoot from a different angle? Yeah. Well, why didn't you just choose to do something else why didn't why did you have to do that and and even even in goldfinger where you see like a matte painting with an explosion it's like oh my god that looks horrible i have seen other bond films before this that that look way better than that there's only two before it everything in dr no i like dr no has its problems because of but i I, but i like it i mean they don't seem to be low budget problems they just seem to be sort of directorial Problems and, and editing there. issues, right? It's yeah. not quite there, but I don't, I don't mind so much. I, I, I actually, I really like Doctor No. Sure, I, I like it quite a bit. Way more, think, way more than Goldfinger. But I don't think of Doctor No or um, um, from Much of the Love as any degree of scope, right? They, right. they're very small, which is great. It works great. They're very small, contained stories, and Goldfinger is the first one where they really started to expand it. So I could see where that's right. That's right. You know. Some of that stuff just isn't up to par, so to speak. But I think they're still. I mean, I think Goldfinger is my favorite. That's a lot of people's favorite, and and I completely get right. it. But there are scenes in Goldfinger where it's like Jesus Christ, just as a special effect or a visual effect. Oh, sure, sure. You sure. see other films that are contemporary to that that are way better. Yeah, but and you have to ask yourself why, because the Bond films were so successful and they made it, so much money. Why isn't it just as good as the a Goldfinger contemporary was film? the third? Right. Yes. It wasn't. The sixth, but it was seven. 1964. Yeah, I mean, point. it's it's you know. Well, I like it because the Aston Martin is. Fucking, well, well, no, it's, it's, it's no, the bomb. Anytime the Aston Martin, particularly the DB5, comes out, you know, I'm I'm in. You know, yeah, that's it's the bomb. It's fine. Uh, when Pierce Brosnan's driving it in uh, Goldeneye, like mm-hmm. when it, and that was like the the largest gap that of a bond yeah. was five years, right? Um. So there's that. Live and let die is. Fucking horrible. Good theme song. The Man with the Golden Gun. Not any better. If anyone else had played Bond, it probably would have would been okay. saved it. it. Probably would have been okay. If, particularly, so they they were talking to Timothy Dalton to take over the role in 1968. That long ago? Yeah, he was 25 years old, hmm. and he said no because he uh, said no. Yeah, Dalton said no because uh, he said that Bond should be middle-aged, should be about 40, 45. 
Okay, I believe that. I mean, that's probably right. And so he but... turned it down. When they offered it to him again in the late 80s, he accepted. Right, and I think those two movies were probably the two most underappreciated. Well, I have to tell you, after watching all of them, 25 movies in the span of 30 days, I am fucking convinced that his two movies are the best. Period? Period. Including Daniel Craig's. And I love Daniel Craig as Bond. And I really like Casino Royale. And, like uh, the best. Full stop. Yeah. I think really? I think The Living Daylights and License to Kill are the best two Bond films. Full stop. They're pretty hardcore. They are. And that's I, my recollection. I, I think that's... But there's there's also something in those two movies that you, you don't particularly have in any of the others except for San Mendes' two films. And that is a visual style that that crosses several bonds. Okay. So John Glenn directed five bonds. So he was the, he's the one who's directed the most, uh, for your eyes only octopusy, a view to a kill, uh, the living daylights and, uh, license to kill. Again, there's no saving any more film. Sure. Well, no, that's not true. I'm not. For your eyes only is actually pretty good. I, I like for your eyes only. I found, I found Octopussy actually to be way better than I remembered it. If it wasn't for the title, it'd probably be it, well remembered. I don't. I don't even mind the title. It's I, just it's I, silly. It, well, that was the name <laughs> of the short story. It's still silly. So, but if you had Timothy Dalton Octopussy, I, I don't think it's a problem. Okay. Um, a view to a kill. There is nothing wrong with a view to a kill except for Roger Moore and the and the blonde girl. Oh uh, yeah. If if you was. just replaced those two, it. That's pretty it's, discouraging. It's a hit, you know. Um, a hit meaning it's way infinitely right. better than it is now. John Glenn seemed to be the only director until Sam Mendes that had a style that crossed the films in terms of he he had very subtle tracking shots that focused the audience on a point of interest that happened with a, a cue from the score that was done exceptionally well uh, to the point toward it was almost annoying after repetitive viewings. Cause yeah, you're on the fifth film. You're like, yeah, I know I get, I get it. However, that style was completely lacking on all the other bonds, not just particularly sure. that style, but, a style. A style period. Lewis Gilbert has no style. Guy Hamilton has no style. He he did Live and Let Die. He did Goldfinger. Those two films have no style. It doesn't mean that Goldfinger isn't cool. No, I There's plenty yeah. of it in yeah, you know, that, that cathedral of gold at the end. It's pretty dope. Like, that's amazing, right? Uh, but there's the, no panache. There's something. There's something about the way John Glenn. Uh, follows Bond that is very uh, moving and exciting. And I think he's a very underappreciated director because he only did, did he five do, films. What did he do beyond? He didn't or is do, that it? That's it. It's really weird. He was a second unit director uh, before that on only on Bond films. and But the, 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 the career launching move, no pun intended, was he was the guy who figured out the logistics and shot the 
uh, parachute opening in the beginning of The Spy Who Loved Me with the the Union Jack on the parachute. Which Which is pretty iconic. Like, wow. Yeah. Yeah, It was pretty awesome. It was repeated in uh, Die Another Day. So there's that. Um, Anyway, most of them are horribly cheap. There there are even parts in uh, GoldenEye. I think GoldenEye is pretty good. The last time I saw it, it's been a it's, long time. It's, it's pretty good, but there are a couple of things that are just sort of, they just don't That's look right. That's one on the top, right? Yeah. 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 No, yeah. Famke Johnson is, is, is amazing. Yeah. yeah. She's, uh, spoiler and, alert, yeah. super hot. And, and that's another thing that I, another criticism I have of the Bonds, anytime you put, a, for lack of a better word, a name as a Bond girl, mm-hmm. it's like it ups the ante like um holly berry showing up and die another day that was amazing okay that was just simply amazing um most of the bond girls i don't know they, oh i bet you know more they, of me. they just i know them because they're bond girls i don't know them from any of like i knew holly berry oh, before okay. she did okay, a bond okay, movie okay. right gotcha. uh one of the exceptions is the the girl in uh the living daylights i can't remember her name um, but, but she, she was remarkable as, as the actress in that role. Um, Maude Adams, I only know because she's a Bond girl. She's twice. the only one who played twice, but I, I don't particularly like her or her performance or yeah. anything, you know. But she has some really high cheekbones. Right. Eva Green, I know. Yeah. And I, but I knew her before Casino Royale. Right. Because of, uh. Why does it matter though? I, I'm just saying that it seemed like when they found an actress who was already established, you know, Holly Berry had an Oscar before she was a Bond girl. Yes. Right. It seemed to make a difference. If, if you, if you audit, like Jane Seymour had not done much before live and let die. So she's kind of a bad example, but everybody knows that Jane Seymour was a Bond girl. That's kind of what I'm going at. Hmm. Diana Rigg. I'm not really sure. Right. She was a I mean, star before she was a Bond girl. Yeah, but... I mean, the Bond girls aren't the... Well, Barbara Bach. Yeah, people knew her before she was a Bond girl. Right. But, I mean... Maybe for the wrong reasons. It's one of those things where, you know, it's it's a very strange, you know, setup. The whole thing is the ultimate male fantasy, Right. And that's not right. inherently bad, in my opinion. I mean, it gets a lot of criticism these days, but I don't know if that's inherently bad. It's kind of like, you know, Thelma and Louise, which may be the ultimate male, you know, fantasy of the ultimate female fantasy, right? Where Brad Pitt is a Bond girl, right? right? I don't know, but it's not one of those things where I, yeah, the Bond movies are like these, it's McDonald's. I know what I'm going to get. I know it's not great, but it shouldn't be terrible. And it's, it is what it is. So I don't really look at them as art. And I'm using finger quotes, right? But that doesn't mean they're terrible. I don't know. I, I'm conflicted about it. Well, conflict is good. So what is your favorite Bond film and why? Goldfinger, because it is so iconic. I think the car and the story and the one-liners and Footsie Galore and everything about it is kind of what all the rest of them were built on, for better and worse. 
not Dr. No? No, I think Goldfinger was the first one that really became a, quote, Bond movie, end of quote. There's not a whole lot of Dr. No disciples in the Bond litany of films. Well, you see a lot of uh, Dr. No in, say, and I'm sorry to bring it up, sure. Austin Powers. Yeah, but that's not Bond. Um, you know, I think it's one of those that if the if the series would have ended at Goldfinger, there's a lot of people out there who would probably be satisfied and say, "Man, they should make another Bond movie." You know, I I think yeah, that, no, that's a fair point. I mean, yeah. I think so much of it just works. Um. It's also cliche, right? Everybody loves Goldfinger. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. Right. But it's like the first time I can remember ever hearing a villain monologue. Oh, Gert Froba, who plays uh, Goldfinger, uh-huh. he's in Mr. Arkadin. Is he? Yeah, you, you'll see him. He'll pop up. And you're like, eh, you're a fucking Mr. Goldfinger. Wells, I expect you to die. <laughs> I, I just think it was so much of that movie just hit so many beats that we didn't even know. You know? I... I think that's my favorite. So if you pull that one out, right? Because that one's the cliche for a reason. Yeah. It would probably be... Fuck. That is a lot harder. From Russia with Love? I'm very partial to the Connery ones. Well, I remember when I was a kid and forevermore, people say, you know, there's only one James Bond, and that's Sean Connery. And I think they might Connery's be right. the best Bond, and that's, that's been the consensus. I think they might be right. Although, the, I, I, I concur with you. I think the Dalton ones are criminally underrated. Yeah. If they would have made four of those. Well, it just seems like... Um, and I really want to like the most recent ones. I really do. Yeah, I, and I haven't yet, but I, I really need to watch them again. I I like the most recent. I, I like most Bond films. I don't want people thinking that I'm, I'm no, not I'm just you're more not critical. Just, them. Right. Uh, the I want to like the Daniel Craig ones though. I'm going to watch those again. The Dalton the Dalton ones just seemed they seemed cut from a different cloth. They're mean. The Living Daylights just seemed like a hard boiled Cold War spy yeah. film. Hmm? And it was a little... Are there it, even any gadgets? The, yeah, there's a couple gadgets. But, I mean, gadgets, there's really yeah. not much. It's not built on that. It's not, yeah, not like the more ones. Right, the more yeah, ones are built on we, M, right, in, yeah. or, or rather Q, in gadgets. Yeah, and they tried to get away with that with, uh, you know, the, the scene in For Your Eyes Only when the car blows up. And there's pretty much no gadgets after that. Right. But, you know, you go into Octopussy, and there's almost no gadgets in that, but... They, they make a comeback in um, A View to a Kill. And there's gadgets in the two Dalton films. They're just not overarching. It's an addition to type of situation. Yeah, the gadgets are fine. Yeah. I mean, I love Goldfinger, and it's got gadgets. It's tons of gadgets. That's the one that's kind of made gadgets. But it's famous. kind of one of those that kind of set up this archetype. Right. But it was, everything else went overboard. Oh, for sure. Just oh. ignore me. I'm trying to focus on something else very briefly. Okay. Um what is the best film you've seen on Netflix lately? Oh, shit. That's a problem because I haven't watched a lot of Netflix. Um, you know, Netflix has lost so many, you know, films that I have not been watching a lot of 
films. When you say Netflix, you mean Netflix proper or Netflix well, is in streaming online? I mean, I'm, I'm guessing if you don't watch a lot of Netflix, I should just say, what's the best film you've seen lately? Or what's your favorite one? Pick one out lately that you just like, wow, that was awesome. Well, the thing I've been totally addicted to is HBO Max. Oh, really? Yeah. I've got... I have HBO Max included in my internet package. And the library is remarkable. I mean, it is a shit ton. Metric shit ton. Not the Imperial. It's metric. Of, you know, classic films. They've got the turn of classic movies library. So I've been HBO watching. HBO Max does? Yeah. Well, I thought the Criterion Channel had that. There's a lot of Criterion films on HBO Max. Sans all the extra features. Right? So just the straight movies. I would say it's maybe 20% of the Criterion Collection physical copies. Really? Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty decent percentage. So probably the best movie I've seen in quite a while was on that because I've been watching a lot of that. And it's probably Adam's Rib. That was a really, 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 really fucking good movie. Yeah, I, I read your letterboxed on that. Yeah, it's have you seen it? Or have you seen it? No, so, no, I haven't at all. But it's so worth watching. But I keep up with your letterbox pretty pretty faithfully. Like oh, okay. anytime you post a review, I I look at it. It's it's a shockingly well balanced and modern movie. Again, it's kinda like M. It's like, wow, I could see this coming out right now. And kinda like M if they redid and came out now, it would probably suck. But it was done then and done well. Um, so that's probably the most recent surprisingly good movie or movie I wasn't expect or I hadn't seen before. Because I'm like anyone else, right? We have a tendency to rewatch the things that we've already seen or watch things that we feel pretty confident are going to be, you know, they fit our parameters whatever they are all right i gotta go let somebody in who's going to spectate for the next 30 minutes okay. but while i'm gone i want you to tell me why the fuck you like game of thrones oh okay this is an unexpected phenomenon you stay right there am i still talking yes into the microphone yes why do i like game of thrones and then i'm going to rebut Rebute. I mean, my whole thing is, why wouldn't you like Game of Thrones? I mean, the first five or six seasons are really an interesting political... I, I, I mean, I'm completely baffled. We have a guest. Have a seat. Kirby! Hey, guys. How's it going? Okay, you were saying about Game of Thrones. Well, I mean, it's kind of... I, I kind of stopped. Nope. Go ahead. Okay. Um, I feel like I'm getting set up. You want to hit pause? No, no. Okay. No, he's, he's here to spectate on the last uh, last bit of the, of the recording. Okay, hang on a second. All right, the reason I like Game of Thrones is that I find it a very remarkably well-realized 
universe that's full of politics that I find compelling, violence that is exciting yet horrifying, and just a storyline which touches on modern-day politics and life, but at the same time connects it to a past that never existed. I think the people are beautiful and act correspondingly horrifically ugly, except, of course, for Natalie Dortman, who can do no wrong, because she's probably top three. Um, yeah, I liked her character quite a bit. Yes. <laughs> Remarkable. Um, aside from the last two seasons, I don't know why people wouldn't find something to like about it, so I'm kind of baffled by the whole thing. <clears throat> well, you gave me your entire collection. Yes, and I, I've, I have not given a very compelling reason for anybody to watch it. I know that. Well, that's okay. It, it's almost, well, it's not up to you to tell. It's me. monoculture. It's a, it was a moment in time. Game of Thrones was a huge force in television history, or I guess you could say cable access history. In, in terms of what it did for HBO and, and what it did yeah. for popular culture. I'm I'm absolutely not. You didn't denying. like The Hound? I didn't like much about Game of Thrones. I, I wrote, actually, I kept a GOT diary in which I went episode by episode talking about how much I didn't like the show. What don't you like about it? And I'm going to, well, I'm going to post it on my website. It's, okay. a, it's about, I'm not shitting you, 25 pages. Okay. That's a lot of. It, it is. I'm going to I'm gonna proof it. And first it started with notes and then it started with paragraphs. So um, there's, I've, I've got major issues with the show, but I want to start off by saying I cannot believe the production value of the show. Yes, it is it remarkably is, well done. It is unbelievable. And you see it increase over the seasons. Um that's actually part of my later criticism of it is there's a there's a geography of space that's missing in the first half of the series, which the second half they're kind of playing catch up with, which is probably more than likely directly tied to and related to their their budget their budget per episode. So it's not that I necessarily fault them for that, right? Uh, King's Landing is is a great stand-in for Constantinople, but it's it's not until probably the fifth or sixth season where that becomes very obvious you have you have no idea of where things are in the city in relation to each other and it, that becomes a hindrance to to the story and they and they almost rely on the opening credit sequence to sort of show you where things are yes which, which is, is one of the genius beauty things about it right uh, however then you find out in in the last season, last season uh, how almost, how big doesn't count how big winterfell is like winterfell looks like a uh, uh, looks like Helm's Deep. It looks it looks enormous. It's um, and so for the previous seven seasons, all you see is the fucking courtyard, right? And so that was just for. It, I really felt disoriented by that fact. I understand that people are 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 not a big fan of the eighth and last season, and I understand I the reasons liked behind the that. Last season. Uh, I liked it a whole lot more than the than the previous seven. I'll tell you that. Really? Okay. Yes. What? Do in a nutshell, what's your disconnect? What's your biggest thing that you just don't 
My my biggest disconnect for the show is the character motivations for everything that they do. Really? It it so I seems think that's very clear and well presented they just don't make sense they, they're they're very clear and very well presented they just don't make sense how they don't make er, sense. everyone seems to be making extraordinary decisions for a short term kirby just stood up <laughs> at least because you can't see for the short term that does not really benefit them at all cersei being the prime example of every fucking decision that woman makes yeah. for eight years has a negative impact. She doesn't know when she's making the decisions. How can she not know? Okay, it's, let's pause. It is, it is pause. amazingly pause. bad. Pause. Just pause. <laughs> we need a cigarette break? We need a cigarette. <laughs> okay. I'm baffled. All right. Okay, we're back from our sabbatical. Our friend Kirby showed up in the middle of it and wrecked everything. But there was a very interesting take right in the middle of Dave and I discussing how worthless Game of Thrones was. And I thought this was, was so fascinating that I asked Kirby to uh, enlighten us with this uh, this wonderful story about meeting George R.R. R. Martin in uh, Calgary. Yeah, so I, I was up there to visit. I don't remember what year that would have been. That would have been... In 2015, 2014. Yeah, somewhere. 14 or 15. And I went to a book signing uh, that he was doing there in Calgary. And, uh, and he opened the book signing talking about how he had gone to do a signing in Texas once. And, uh, and everybody immediately you know, was kind of aggressive about it because the crowd wasn't very Texas friendly. And, uh, and he showed up apparently and there was a line around the store and he got really excited. And then it turned out that the, the signing was there. The, the people were all there for Clifford the Big Red Dog. <laughs> um, and they, uh, they weren't there for him. And he was, uh, he was deeply offended by that. He was very disappointed. Um, and, uh, and being from Texas, I, I thought that was interesting that he would be offended by that. Not happy that some people showed up to see him or anything, but he was, uh, you know, more upset about Clifford, the big red dog so much so that that's how he opened his uh, signing in Calgary. Right. So, uh, so he's clear up there talking about that. And, uh, and then, you know, every time I've, I've seen him, I've seen him at, at two or three signings and, uh, and then I've read his bio and I've read most of what he's written. Um, you know, he, he talks uh, quite a bit about his time in Hollywood as a writer at Beauty and the Beast and, you know, and other things that he's done. And he seems to speak very fondly of that time. And my take is that uh, everything he's done since then has been an effort to get back in the limelight, that he was he was kind of uh, shunned by those people. And he and he and he felt uh felt excluded and uh, has a bit of a chip on his shoulder about that. And so I think as soon as the show was a hit, he was vindicated and, uh, and he just moved on. I don't, I don't think he's got any interest left in it. Um, I immensely enjoyed the, the books and the show. I, I probably liked it much better than you guys did, but I, um, you know, I, I just, uh, I don't feel like it was a good investment at this point or that he's uh, vested in finishing it. I, uh, I don't know. So I enjoyed it. But then, anyway, that's my take on him. And I, I don't want to get into uh, uh, any chip you might have on your shoulder. But no, uh, I, I have no chip. I, I have. I just have a point of view. Yeah. 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 So, so I got one more question for you, Kirby, um, which just left out the window because I think I'm literally on my sixth or my seventh beer. And I had a lot of Kahlua before that in my coffee. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, Beauty of the Beast. 
Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. He said he was a screenwriter for that show. Yeah. Okay. I was unfamiliar with this. So uh, what is your take on Beauty and the Beast? I, I saw a few episodes of it. I don't know. I mean, and what like do you a, remember of those episodes? It was like a romance TV show. It was, it was competing with like, you know, I don't know, fantasy Island or, um, okay, you know, wrong the answer. or something wrong answer. was my, my take on it. I don't okay. remember yeah. it that much. The first and last answer to any question resolving re- involving a beauty and the beast is I remember Linda Hamilton. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> do you remember Linda Hamilton? I, 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 I was gay until I was <laughs> 18. <laughs> But do you remember her now? I, 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 so <laughs> I, I, fuck is wrong I, with I, you? I, I admire, uh, I, I appreciate Linda Hamilton. I don't remember that she was in that show. Uh, I wouldn't have watched any of it, uh, without some hot chick being there. I just didn't remember that it was her. So I think I was more hung up on moonlighting. Uh, what was her name in, in moonlighting? Was it Sybil the, Shepherd. Yeah. Sybil Shepherd. She was yeah. much more my speed. Another at, at Bogdanovich time. reference. In yeah, the show. yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, I think I was so madly in love with Sybil at the time that, uh, I was, I was busy trying to become B.A. Baracus and, and uh, find out how I was going to... Not David Addison? Uh, no, no. Okay. Uh, B.A. Baracus. It's strange because you just made a reference that maybe you were gay, but <laughs> you didn't dump David over Sybil. Well, Dave I, and I had to... Dave had to rein me in on the, the Linda <laughs> Hamilton moment in in, uh, in Terminator, when she the, the love scene, right? I, I could probably just do a podcast just on Linda Hamilton <laughs> because I think she's an amazing actress. As well yeah. as being uh, obscenely hot. Yeah, she's got. She definitely has a look, right? She's right. she's got a very different uh, kind of physique and bearing that is uh, that is attractive to a certain kind of latently homosexual. Yes, the, 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 the yes, and the, the, the square <laughs> and the square jaw is very hard to pull off yeah. these days, yeah. right? Yeah. And Linda Hamilton, maybe Tegan Quinn, a few other people. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, and, and if she's liberal enough, uh, maybe she's uh, maybe she's talking to George R. R. Martin right now about. About book five. That'd be awesome. Yeah, yeah okay. I could do with that. Is that how many books there are? Is there four books? I don't recall. I um, I don't know if I'm really going to buy the next one yet. What, what's the next one? The Winds of Winter? I have no idea. Yeah, and it's, um, it's, it's, I don't think it's going to come out. I don't know. Ever. Yeah. Okay. I, I think he's lost interest. But thank you for letting me share uh, my take on, on George R. Oh, Martin absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I knew that it was going to be rich and, and I wanted you to share it and I appreciate it. All right. I got one more question for Dave and then we're going to wrap up since we're. This is going to be one of our shorter uh, special editions, Dave. It was um, we're at an hour thirty-eight. Normally we run two hours. Oh, that was tremendous. Plus, okay, so yeah. I don't know. About six months ago, Luke and I watched Point Break. Okay. Are you an FBI agent? No. <sighs> I am not young, dumb, and full of cum. Hmm. Uh, last. Are you two of the three? At least two. Oh, yeah. Last uh, Sunday or Monday, um, we watched Zero Dark Thirty. Okay. So, <clears throat> Near Dark, Point Break, Strange Days, The Hurt Locker, Zero Dark Thirty. You seen those? Um, I believe I actually have seen all of them except for Hurt Locker. Okay. Okay. Uh, why aren't we, as film fans collectively not you and i right. maybe you and i if we think about it but why aren't we talking about Catherine bigelow more well primarily because she has not had that really big hit i mean she won the oscar with uh zero dark 30 right well she won it for hurt locker or did she win did them, she... she win them both i'd have to go back and look Ooh, okay but i mean her movies are 
really, really, really good, but she is not prolific. Okay. Right? So there isn't a Catherine Bigelow movie every three years that redefines action expectations. Um, she does a lot of TV in between. She does, but who pays attention? Right. I, 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 I mean, sure, people do. I just don't. Um, I think she's exceptionally gifted and should absolutely do more. And this is really unexpected and weird. Give me that. Well, you, you need to speak into the microphone more. Sorry about that. That's all right. I, th- I think it's as much as that as anything is there's two things missing. There's no signature flick. There's no signature really um, sequence that you can point to and say, oh, that's a maestro. And the second one is that it's just not often enough. Okay. I mean, Cameron isn't very prolific at all. Right. But he's got more than a few sequences you could look at and say, oh. That's a camera. I film. get it. Okay. You know? Okay. I'm, I'm willing to buy that. I just, we, we will endlessly talk about James Cameron. And I don't know how many times I've seen Terminator, True Lies, The Abyss. I love The Abyss. Right. Um, Even Titanic. Ti- I've seen Titanic a handful of times. Avatar, I'm just not a fan of those two. Sure, but. There are. It's remarkably professional. It's really well done. It's excellent entertainment. I would hope that every film would be at least as as good as those. And you don't need right. those type of budgets. Um, but if I'm going to take Terminator Near Dark, Terminator edges Near Dark out for Not sure. Not the original. The original Terminator isn't better than Near Dark. I think Near Dark is much better than the original Terminator. You su- you surprised me with that. Oh really? Yeah. You're welcome. But but, but having but having that in opinion makes me want to doubt that, and I might reinforce it. I'll have to see Near Dark again because I I love Near Dark. Right. I love it. No, I mean it's not that Terminator's bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, of course not. Of course not. Right. But then then you go on to okay, Point Break, mm-hmm. uh, The Abyss. Uh, man, Point Break is probably better. Yeah, I th- I think so, and I I know I've seen Point Break more. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and so then you go down to uh, Strange Days, True Lies, or Aliens, or yeah, Aliens. I mean, I mean, I mean Aliens. That's a freaking I mean, nature. I mean, that's, I mean, Strange uh, Days isn't very good. It's a great idea that yes. doesn't work. Right. And I don't I don't think that it's poorly executed. I just think that it just moves in the wrong direction. Yeah. Right. Uh, but but I have a, a fondness in my heart for Strange Days. Okay. Because of the several things that are in it. Right. Right. The plot device, uh, Ray Fiennes. And, the incredibly uh, horrific rape scene. Things like that. Oh. Oh, that's not your favorite. Okay, no, sorry. No, not at all. No, but it is one of those where it's, it's a good idea. It just doesn't work. Right, the brainstorm type of technology. Yeah. yeah. Brainstorm also didn't work. Yeah, yes, that separate topic. Um, Hurt Locker, Zero Dark it, Thirty. I haven't seen it. Um, you I mean, Hurt Locker s- is definitely better than Titanic. No, Hurt Locker won not, not won Hurt an Locker, Oscar for, rather, for, uh, for best picture. Uh, Say so what? Best picture and best director. Best picture and, and best, and best director. director. And, and Cam- Cameron won best director for Titanic. Yes, and he was best King picture. Of the world. Yes, right, which surprised no one. No, I think it was way too popular. Yes, it good. It's and, good. 
uh, it's good. It's not the best ever, but it's fucking good. It might be a good movie. It's definitely I, a good movie. I, I really, I really, I guess I have to watch it again. Sure. Because I just. Is it ham fisted? Is it on the nose? Is it does way a star overly David dramatic? Warner. What's that? Does it star David Warner? Is David Warner in that? Yeah. Oh, he, he is. He's the butler. It has Billy Zane, has though. Billy Zane. <laughs> Billy Zane always wins. I, you should listen to him. He's a cool dude. I don't know. I just, I found myself uh, watching Jessica Chastain's performance in Zero Dark Thirty. Um, becoming very aware of this girl who evolves over time, who has replaced her life with a mission. And uh, you, you see her go through several stages of emotion. Sure. And by the end of it, when she realizes that effectively there's her, her reason for existence after eight or nine years is gone that there's, that there's nothing. She never thought about anything else. And, uh, it's, it's, I, I just don't think that, uh, another director in the same circumstance could have gotten that performance out of her. Not to say that, that, that Chastain is not a good actress or sure. et cetera, et cetera. I think she's exceptional. I was really particularly because I'd like to think of myself as a patriot too. And that was a horrible crime. And I'm, I like everybody else got up in the middle of the night and say, fuck you motherfucker. I'm glad you're dead. And I'm, and I wish I could buy a beer for the son of a bitch, put a bullet in your fucking head. You know, I, I think a lot of us said that night, I, I was very wrapped up in the story of zero dark 30 of the story of that person that I, I hope a lot of us want to be, which is that patriot that serves their country. And a lot of us don't have the, the guts or the gumption to, to be that or to do that. And she did it, or at least that character did it. I, f- I found that to be amazingly compelling about a film that not a lot of people talk about. It's just that it's that film about the raid on Bin Laden's compound. Yeah. That's all it is. Right. It's not what it is, but that's how it's remembered. And in the past 15 years, what has James Cameron done? Oh, it's been a long time. Yeah. And Avatar, Zero Dark Thirty. I'm going to choose Zero Dark Thirty. Avatar, Hurt Locker. I'm going to choose the Hurt Locker over Dances with Aliens. Sure. Avatar, Strange Days. Avatar. Draw. No, Avatar's better. (sighs) I don't think so. It is. It's better. I don't think so. I mean... Mostly because Strange Days is that good. Titanic. Zero Dark Thirty. So what's the what what, what gonna, exactly is the question? Who's better, Cameron or? Man, uh, I'm just gonna go with that. I'm gonna I'm gonna the ask the fucking question: Bigelow or Cameron? Because past week, probably Cameron because his highs are higher. Meaning, I mean. The Abyss, Terminator, True Lies, True Terminator Lies. 2, Aliens. A- aliens is a freak of nature. Yeah, so it's one of those where it's, the highs are higher. But Aliens is kind of, you remember we the conversation we had about Fincher. We were just going to ignore Alien 3, mm-hmm. like it never happened. It's uh, almost I, the same situation. I wish situation they would have made where, an Alien 3. would have been nice. 
But I wish one. Bigelow would have made Alien 3. Sure. That would have been good. Right. I... I think Bigelow is a better director. Okay. And I think, I think that that's not acceptable to to a lot of the film community. Oh, I don't know if that's the way I would phrase it. I think what you're saying is most people wouldn't agree as opposed to being acceptable. Oh, okay, okay. But I think that Cameron's highs are the highest, right? Because in regards to significantly impressive or um, influential action films. There's McTiernan and then Cameron. So if you're looking at the consistency perspective, yeah, the argument for Bigelow is very compelling. But from a better, from the high of highs, is like, who's a better director? Francis Ford Coppola or say, say or just say Catherine Bigelow. Yeah. Choose, choose one. I mean, she is yeah. definitely more consistent. than Coppola. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. But she's not better because his highs with those four movies are, you know, astronomically higher. And I think the same thing is true with Cameron. Can I, can I propose a tiebreaker? Sure. Kirby proposes a tiebreaker. Okay, so... Can I rephrase do, do you want to speak into the microphone, sir? Okay. So if I, if I rephrase the question... Oh, hold on. you got to get to the microphone or we're not going to hear it. So if I rephrase the question that you're asking, right? So when I think about it, with Cameron, that's a very immersive experience, right? I've been there and I've lived it. Everybody goes there. They all live it together. Um, and so it's uh, it's something that's kind of an, an, a cultural event. Yeah. And now I've been there and I've been through it, right? With Bigelow, I want to watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'll rewatch her movies more than I'll because I, I think maybe there's something I missed, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't miss anything in the experience of Titanic or uh, Avatar, right? And so I've rewatched The Abyss once or twice. But I'm not going to watch Avatar again. I'm not going to watch Titanic again. Right. You know, I live that. I, I will watch Zero Dark Thirty again. So is, is does that weigh into the question of who's better? Re, I think re, rewatchability is is a strong case for uh, a better director. Um, Dave and I are uh, in love with this podcast called The Rewatchables, which Bill Simmons hosts off the ringer.com. And they do a very good job of categorizing why a film is rewatchable. And they break it down uh, to, or what are some of them? Apex Mountain, right? Like, right. Is, is this at their height of their power in Hollywood? Uh, what's another one? Um, oh, there's a lot. Is, yeah. Uh, who's the that guy? You know, lots of people are that guy. Yeah, I know, I know that guy. Like, I don't know him, but I know that guy. And Julie Patiliano is the ultimate that guy, right? Steve Buscemi is a that guy. Well, not anymore. Now he's Steve Buscemi. Yeah. But for 20 years, he was that guy. But Michael Bain is a that guy. Michael Bain is a very good that guy. Yeah. It's a shame people don't know who he is. Yeah. yeah. Of course, Bill Paxton is also a that guy. Yes, he is. You're right. And he's in both of theirs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and Near Dark is the almost the exact same cast as Aliens. Very close. Yeah. It's, it's pretty much the same. Right. I mean, I think that Kirby brings up a good point with Cameron's later day stuff is it's a singular achievement that was a cultural phenomenon, no doubt about it. 
I mean, just was. But, again, I go back to his high of highs, much higher. The Catherine Bigelow movie I would rewatch from that perspective the most would definitely be... Uh, Point Break. Point Break, for yeah. sure. But I'll watch Aliens. I'll watch Terminator 2. I'll watch True Lies. I'll watch the first Terminator. I'll watch those. If they're on now, I'll sit down and watch those. And I submit that they're more entertaining, those four movies, than anything in Bigelow's Au revoir, except for potentially Point Break. Oh, that's no, that's a good point. That's that's a very good point. But it's one of those where there's no this one or that one. It's like they're both pretty awesome. Just give me less Michael Bay, unless you can go back and make The Rock or Armageddon. I just and you're so wrong on The Rock, by the way. It's it's unfortunate. We're not going there right now. Perhaps you could delineate for me why. I do not like Titanic or Avatar. Oh, that's for you to say, not me. But out of ev- out of everything that James Cameron does, I'm sold. Right. Well, what percentage of your disinterest in those two movies is tied directly to their immense and kind of absurd popularity? Because they're both eh, pretty good. They're not great, but they're pretty good. Well, I mean, it's nothing against the production value of the film. It's, I mean, when it comes to Titanic, for example. That second half is pretty good. (sighs) Fuck that movie. (laughs) I I just, you know, I I have a hard time itemizing my problems. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, bigger door. Well, I mean the the bigger door, Kirby, is is the uh, you know is is the is the small exhaust port right below the main port aspect of Titanic, which I don't I don't mind. Yeah, I'm the me. the weakest link does not necessarily bother me. Or I love you, Jack. I'll never let you go by. You know, that doesn't particularly bother me. I I know that this is going to be, like, heretical to say, but never in the 90s was I a fan of Leo DiCaprio. I don't think that's necessarily heretical. I thought you were going to say something along the lines of, you know, she wasn't really that hot, which would have been. Or Billy Zane isn't that cool. One of those two things would have been a problem. (laughs) Well, Kate Winslet is hot. Yeah. There's... And Billy Zane is that cool. Right. Uh, no. Nah, There's never just... been such a thing as a bad Billy Zane movie. Orlando. Yeah. Billy Zane. Cool. The Phantom. Billy Zane. Again. Cool. Okay. Disagree. Hmm. Regardless. Um, to the original point. I think that it's too far to go without being more informed on my part to say something like something controversial, like Bigelow is the recipient of some industry sexism because I don't work in the industry. I don't know particularly that much. Yeah. I don't know, but she has two nominated movies and at least one Oscar just off the top of my head. She might have two, if I remember correctly. So I, I don't think that that's particularly the case and she's well loved in the industry. Because she makes a lot of money for a lot of people. And I, I don't think that the industry cares what sex she is. I'm sure they do a little bit. Right. But, but there are other people that definitely 
get the shrift based on being a woman. And, and she and she and she might, but in in this particular case, I don't think that that she's widely dissed because she's a woman by by the fan base. No, I think she's widely dissed because she makes action movies. Because action movies aren't cool. No, because action movies are because she's a female that makes action movies. Well, no, because action movies from broad perspective aren't well respected or followed, right? I think we're at the heart of the matter. I mean, that's her. She's a genre filmmaker. And there's nothing wrong with that from you and I, from our perspective. Well, it's no, but I mean, is there anything wrong with the period? No. I mean, what do you expect? I mean, she is a genre. She's not Greta Gerwig. Right. She is not Sofia Coppola. Right. And they get. They Plenty get accolades, accolades. Right. yes, and Bigelow doesn't, I mean, right. She gets accolades, it's just, she's not going to remember, be remembered as one of the great filmmakers. Right, and I, I, I have to say, <clears throat> Greta Gerwig, Catherine Bigelow, I just, I would rather see Catherine Bigelow. Now, is that sure. because, is that because I'm a guy? No, it's because you like those kind of movies better. Okay. Would you rather watch a John McTiernan flick or a Milos Forman? John McTiernan. All right, there you go. Yeah. Nothing wrong with Milos Forman. No, they're very good. Yeah. Okay. You helped me work through that. I don't know if that I was, did, but you're welcome. That was uh that was a little very disturbing part of, of my persona that I that I needed to face and you helped me get through it and I appreciate that. Not a problem at all. <laughs> uh Kirby, thank you for, for coming in and, and giving us your take and sitting in the last half of this. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Dave, Yo. thanks so much for coming down. Oh, gosh, you're welcome. It is a hell of a haul. It is. I think I've said that every single <laughs> podcast. <laughs> but it was great having you. All right, and I hope to see both of you next time on the Super 70 Podcast. Super 70.